G'day folks, welcome to the Expedition Kayaks podcast. My name's Mark Sundon. I'll be joined from time to time by my business partner and buddy, Rob Mercer, to bring you tales from the ocean, the world of sea paddling, the thing we do, the thing we love. We hope you enjoy listening in. G'day folks, uh, welcome to a, a, a EK podcast. It's been a little while. Um, obviously, we've had our very busy period over summer. Um, Australia's been absolutely boxed in by bushfires and now we find ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic. However, um, we, we are getting through it here. I understand many parts of the world aren't and we wish you all the best out there in Europe and the US if you're listening in. Um, I'm joined for this podcast by Bob Turner. Bob and I have been getting out during the um, the social distancing period of, of the last few weeks doing a weekly paddle. If you've been following our social media, you'll see some of the stuff we've been uh, getting up to just in a pair. We haven't taken on too much big stuff. We've just turned our paddling into a nice, cruisy, relaxing coffee cruise uh, out, out in our local waters. Bob's took a beautiful photo which is on the cover of Ocean Paddler magazine so he's kind of world famous now Bob you know fantastic um, but Bob and I go back a long time we um, when before we started Expedition Kayaks Rob and I had dabbled with uh, Impex Kayaks which are no longer and they had a boat called the Force 4 and I remember one day Rob ringing me and saying oh this guy came for a lesson and he tried the Force 4 and he's going to be our first customer so I think uh one of our other mates, Tim Kennings, had bought a Currituck and we had a warehouse full of these kayaks that we didn't know if they were going to be good or not. And uh, suddenly we had our first sale of the Force Boats. So that, that boat, Bob, welcome, Bob. Thank you. Good to be here. That, uh, that Force 4, you must have been a bit lighter back then. Considerably lighter I remember back being, then. Yeah, reasonably low volume. Uh, <clears throat> compared to what I'm paddling now? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. You're a lot more athletic now. Uh, one way of putting it, yeah. but... <laughs> much more powerful build very kind after years of paddling (laughs) where um we have a bit of a tradition when we go on trips and things that we have a taste testing session that usually involves single malt whiskey but it it is sort of late afternoon here on a friday and that probably wouldn't have been in order to be you know heaping into a lafroig later maybe and we so we have we have whilst keeping a we are you know, this isn't live cast on YouTube or anything, but we are uh, suitably removed from one another with a, with a couple of microphones. And Bob's brought along a selection of uh, craft beers, I probably imagine they'd be called. And we've been working our way through those in the lead up to this. We just had one that was raspberry flavoured. Yeah, the pink beer. The pink beer. Pink beer. Yeah. A, uh, a sour. A sour. It was, I can only describe that as having a kombucha, which makes you feel quite cheerful. And, and leads into an oaked XPA. Ballistic. Ballistic Beer Company. And this one's a bit shit, actually. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, I think we get into the next one as quick as we can. Anyway, I, I digress. As I said, I hope everyone's well. I hope you're getting your paddling fixed through the multitude of videos that are out there on the web. You know, I know guys like Nick Cunliffe in England have been putting awesome stuff up on his Facebook about, you know, backyard paddling adventures and... and, and doing his best to keep everyone entertained. Well done, Nick, if you're listening. Probably not, but you know. Um, and this is another one of those 
maybe an hour or so of uh, the two of us shooting the breeze here and uh, Bob being able to tell you a little about, bit about his paddling journey. So that day, you, you turned up at Watson's Bay with, uh, with Mercer. Turned up at Watson's Bay with, uh, <clears throat> with a brand new .65 XP. Ah, okay, yep. And my sheepskin. On the seat. My, my trusty sheepskin to go on the seat. Okay. And uh, and got the look of all looks from uh, Mercer. <laughs> it's that that look he gives you when it's like, oh my god, what have I got now? He's never rude. No, he didn't say anything. No, no, it no. was just the look and the silence. Yes, a little silence. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he turned up with an Impex Force Four, which looked considerably better than the Nagy that he'd had previously, but looked even better than my Force Four. Yeah, they're my uh, your point sixty five. Yeah, they were reasonably unstable, veed hole type thing, weren't they? Yeah, uh, very much. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, were well, you turned up for a lesson, or? Well, I'd <clears throat> I'd previously bought the point sixty five, as most novice paddlers do, went into the shop, looked at all the boats on the rack. There was a red one. Red ones go faster. <laughs> it had lines that were different to every other boat in the shop, so it must have been different. They were quite expensive too. And it was the most expensive boat in the shop. So it must have been the best. So it must have been the best. <laughs> so I bought it. Uh, I took it out one day on port hacking. I was thinking to myself it was a bit unusual that there was nobody else out on port hacking. It was overcast. was windy. Uh, at that stage, I didn't understand what a knot was, other than something you tied in the end of a rope. But there were lots more knots than maybe what I should have been out in. Right. Which sort of explained why nobody else was out there. No other paddlers on the water is usually a fair indication that yeah. you're either brave or you haven't really, you don't really know what you got yourself in for. Novice. We've, um, all, been, we've all been there, I'm sure. Quite happy to call myself at that stage a novice. And uh, and I also learnt why they call a couple of places on the port hacking when you leave Swallow Rock. The first one you come to is Lightning Point. Yep. Uh, I didn't see any lightning, but it should have been a lightning moment. It wasn't. There's a bit of a thing with you and lightning. Oh, yeah. So we there was we had a bunch of thunderstorms roll through Sydney about this time last year, and uh, they were quite horrendous. And it was a bit of a cell that popped through. In the afternoons for about a week or so we set off one morning it's very unusual to have a thunderstorm in sydney in the morning and it looked awful there were four of us pokeman the commodore you and i yep and yep. there was yeah the hair on the back of my arms was standing up which is not a good sign there's a fair bit of static in the air when that's happening i said i don't think i want to go paddling in this lightning this is there's a lightning storm around not a good idea pokeman said me either the Commodore said, I'll just do whatever you guys do. And you said... Just ignore it. Ignore it. Just ignore it. And funnily enough, when we when we had a beer with Laurie Ford a few weeks ago, the famous old Tasmanian pioneer, I told him that story. And he said, I completely agree. Oh, excellent. He said, how many kayakers have been hit by lightning? He said, it's rubbish. Comrade in arms. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I digress again. Lightning point. Lightning point. And the next point is called danger point. So if I didn't have my lightning moment, I certainly had my danger moment as I rounded danger point in my point sixty-five. Hang on, this is nine kilometres inland here. Yeah, 
We're nowhere near the ocean. No, we're this a, long, is a river. Long way from being a sea kayaker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Novice. And uh, around Danger Point, and then it dawned on me that it was absolutely nobody on the water, not even a boat. And I thought, <clears throat> the waves, and there were waves, to me at that stage they were a lot bigger than they are nowadays, but they were big waves, and all I needed to do was keep pointing into them. So I pointed into them and thought, as long as I keep pointing into them, I'll be okay. But the reality sort of came to me eventually that you have to turn around. You'll have to turn. <laughs> <laughs> and, Actually, and I, that's a very common that's a very common light bulb moment for yeah, a lot of people who are new yeah. to hiking. Well, the lightning moment was about 700 metres too late. <laughs> okay. So I turned, I thought, what the hell? I'll try and turn, I tried to turn around and as soon as I was side on, the inevitable, everything that I thought would happen, did happen. And I fell in. And I pulled on my skirt and I wet exited and I thought, good. Got that part down pat, hung onto my paddle, hung onto my boat, thought, going well so far. Dawned on me at that stage that I'd never even thought about how to get back in the boat and clearly had no idea. Right. So how did that end? Uh, badly. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I realised if I, if I drifted for long enough, I would drift past the last moored boat. And if I hung onto that moored boat, I might be able to climb up on the transom. Um, I drifted, but I didn't drift the way I needed to drift, and I missed the last moored boat. It did, it did occur to me at that stage that when I, when I was having my little shopping spree and buying everything in the shop, that I'd purchased a thing called a paddle float. Yeah, uh, do you know what Tasmanians call paddle floats? Uh, no idea. Excellent decorations for your headstone. Right. Perfect. They, they reckon if you're going to use one of them for anything other than a roll, you've got no chance and you shouldn't have been well, out there in the first place. Given that I had no idea how to roll. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I hadn't really done was read the instructions on how to use the paddle float. But I thought, how hard can it be? You just blow it up. And so, I obviously it's a paddle float, so it must go on your paddle. So I shoved my paddle in one hole and then I started to blow it up, and I thought, mm, okay, now I need to turn it over and blow up the other one. And as I turned it over to blow up the other one, it dawned on me what those little clips were for. That'll be to hold it onto the paddle. Yeah. <laughs> and as the paddle float floated off the end of the paddle, and in the substantial knots yeah. that I was starting to learn knots. about and really appreciate, <clears throat> the paddle float floated, floated away. Floated. <laughs> A paddle it floated. It right. did exactly what it should have done, but it just like didn't a, have a paddle. Like a little yellow blue bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never even found it. That little paddle float ended up in Gaimea Bay somewhere, I'm sure. But uh, you're here. But I'm here. I did I did finally manage to, to get to the transom on another boat, hung on, climbed up over the seagull netting and got my breath for half an hour. Finally worked out how to get back into my boat. Enjoyed being in the lee of the the boat of the uh, yacht, the yacht or whatever it was, and then thought, reality check. 
when I go forward, I'm actually going to be sideways to the wind again. Uh, so, you know, the inevitable happened a second time. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So the third the third time was I got back in and then I so, thought... So what time of the year is this? Uh, July. So this is middle of winter in Australia. Yeah. In a river that has... Uh, that has um, probably slightly colder temperatures than the ocean, but we're still only talking 17 degrees, yeah. maybe 18 degrees. So it's, yeah. you probably wouldn't want to be in it for an hour. I didn't want to be in it for much longer, but yeah. anyway. I needed to be in it for long enough to learn that when I finally extricated myself and got back on dry land that I needed to take some advice I'd been given previously, which was to ring some bloke called Rob Mercer. Right. And learn what this sea kayaking thing was all about. I don't think it was really about learning what the sea kayaking thing was all about. It was probably learning about what paddling was actually about. Okay. So so you rock up to Watson's Bay, there's Rob. Yep. Giving you that strange look because uh, you have a sheepskin. Yep. Sheepskin's important. Well, I thought it was. Because... It's going to be a long paddle. I've, I've resorted to a sheepskin. Yeah, yeah. I've done a sheepskin yeah. on the Hawkesbury Classic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but your sheepskin on the Hawkesbury Classic smelt considerably different to mine <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the paddle. Uh, they say, mate, a gentleman is defined by someone who will get out of their boat to do a wee. <laughs> right? Right. So you're not a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the... Uh, we got through the got through Mercer's unusual look, put my boat on the water, and uh, and followed his instructions, which were to paddle not out into the ocean at all, but to paddle towards Rose Bay, and specifically to paddle towards a big um, red what looked to me like a balloon at those in those days. And I understand that now to be called a buoy. A buoy. A buoy. Yeah, there's North yeah. Americans listening. Buoy. Probably not many, it's a buoy. A buoy. Yeah, yeah. So I paddled towards the buoy and Rob said, when you get to that buoy, I want you to turn left. Now, the point sixty five didn't have a rudder at that stage and uh, left, wasn't, left wasn't something I was really good at in those days. Like Zoolander. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't until I got an Audax that I was actually good at turning left. In those, in those days, uh, left was, was a bit ambitious, and Rob watched me paddle straight into the red buoy. <laughs> so then I got the second, my God, what have I got here look. I thought, oh, I probably need to step up a bit here, but I don't think it was going to happen that day. So where did you come from? to get into paddling. What did what did make you decide to do that? Sorry, just to interrupt, this is the crazy Ivan IBA. We've we've drunk the ballistic beer co Oak Dexpo, which was pretty shit, like I said. This is this is beer with character. This is beer with character. The crazy Ivan none of this is sponsored by the way, but if there is a beer company out there who wants to sponsor us, hey, we're we're, we're all ears. We're all ears. No no contracts entered into at this stage, but we're all ears. Anyway, so back to the story. Um <clears throat> a mate of mine one day uh, tried to con me into making a comeback to um, to soccer, which I which is a bit strange because I'd never really played it anyway. But 
he decided that over 35 soccer was a good thing for us and uh, and we had we had one year of it and learnt that over 35 soccer was not a good thing for us at all it's a rubbish game it is a rubbish seriously. game seriously yeah you know it's a rubbish game so one hamstring and one calf and only a few games under our belt we decided that probably wasn't good and someone had told us that paddling was a low impact sport for old people and we thought 35 year olds 35 year olds <laughs> <laughs> well we were a little bit older than 35 right, but right. We, anyway we uh, we went down, we had a come and try day on the port hacking with uh, Denise. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And so we jumped in with Denise and her father and her uncle. Took us for a, a great day of paddling every sort of plastic boat that you could the know to mankind. Legends. The slatteries, yeah. yeah. Australis canoes, if anyone yeah. in Australia is wondering. Awesome boats. Fantastic people. Yeah. If you see one of their boats, go and buy them. They're awesome. Well, they had a, a blue and white one called a the salamander salamander yeah so having struggled with the 0.65 not quite come to terms with the force four i thought a salamander could be a good thing particularly because the roto molded somebody extolled the virtues of roto molded boats to me that you could run them into buoys and they didn't get damaged you could that meant that you could run them into rocks and all sorts of things. So until I had actually learnt how to steer, a roto-moulded boat sounded like a pretty good thing. And it is a good boat. And it was a good boat. Yeah. So, so we had a good day down there, and I started paddling a little bit more, and then someone had said to me something about, you know, it's possible to paddle across Bass Strait. That would be a pretty, pretty, achieve, pretty, pretty big achievement. And uh, for some reason that locked in my head that, that would be a pretty good achievement. So it's about 2007, 2008? 2007, yeah. yeah. 2007, You're 2008. Right. Had this idea yep. that, yep, despite the fact that I couldn't actually steer, couldn't avoid a buoy, couldn't avoid a channel marker, there are no buoys and there are no channel markers in the middle of Bass Strait, so I should be okay. And, you know, you're essentially either going north or south. Yeah. There's a few yeah. course corrections along the way. But... Well, I've since found that out, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I had that idea, and then uh, and then someone said to me, "If you're going to paddle Bass Strait, then maybe you could paddle the Hawkesbury Canoe Classic, which is 111 kilometres overnight." And I thought, well, "How hard can it be? If you're going to paddle Bass Strait, you must be able to paddle 100 kilometres or 111." So I realised that my 0.65 was faster than my roto moulded salamander so I took my 0.65 up for uh, one of the familiarisation paddles Spencer to uh, Brooklyn to Spencer and back to Brooklyn so 30 k's 20, 20 something k's 25 yep. k's yep. and uh, <clears throat> that was the was the day I first met Greg Archibald ah, who one was, of the great personalities of a local club yeah, yeah who was yep. also setting out to do the Hawkesbury so I, uh, I paddled my paddled that race and got out of that and thought, mm, if I'm going to do 111 k's, I'm not going to do it in a 0.65. I noticed that everybody else had considerably narrower and considerably faster boats. When you so, do it for the first time, or the first couple of times, and in the middle of the night, you hear that whoosh, 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 coming behind you, 
and they go past like they've got an outboard on the back. Yep. And you think, yeah, I wonder what they're in. Yep. Because yeah. <clears throat> it is a great furphy that the faster boat makes you go faster. No. It's not a furphy. <laughs> <is> it? <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not a furphy. So I, I did my limited research again, worked out that there were a couple of, couple of fast boats, but there was a new boat, much like the Force 4, Somebody, somebody else was making a new boat, so I, I like to have the first of things. So I, I went up to Grafton and I bought a Grafton Paddle Sports Time Traveller. I got the, I didn't get the first one. I got the second one. The first one was a, was the prototype, and the second one was the autograph by Steve Muir, and was the first production boat, but boat number two. I remember, pig ugly. Yep. Couldn't possibly imagine that thing could go fast in any way, shape, or form. And then no. whoosh, 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 guys kept going past you real fast in it. They they go fast. Yeah. When you can sit up straight and paddle the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which I wasn't quite at that stage at that time, that point in time. But I was getting there. I do remember turning up at the next familiarisation paddle with this candy apple green black and white boat that nobody had ever seen before drew lots of attention probably not what I needed to do given my paddling prowess or lack thereof at the time but sort of the paddling equivalent of a pair of white boots yeah yeah <clears throat> anyway it was a good day had a good I had a much better time in that than I had in the point uh, sixty five. Uh, I think I only fell out of it three times um, in the 30 kilometres of the first familiar paddle and then, then I think I got the hang of it. So you still got this idea in your head of doing bass straight yep. as your goal, but you're bending off into this marathon paddling thing. Yeah. Better get myself fit, better get my form sorted. Yeah. Wonder what boat will make it yep. faster. Yep. And you, you're suddenly into a whole lot of craft that are definitely not going to get you across bass straight. Uh, nothing that was going across bass straight. No. But there's a, there's, there's a sense of competitiveness you can't just go and paddle for the sake of paddling. You have to. It's now. It's about time, and how fast you could go. Not not that you would ever get in any way sidetracked, Mark, with how fast you could go, <laughs> or how quick you could get from A to B. That would never enter into your mind. Well, as a sea kayaker, primarily, you know, um, the idea of competition and competitiveness. You you could be strapped to a tree and whipped by your peers for even <laughs> suggesting such a thing. And I, you know, I, I prefer not to, to, to... Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You not. know, that's no. just not... That's no. about the vibe. It is. It yeah. is about the vibe. Stopwatches. Yeah. I mean, and you know. And so Gazza, Father, Trickster, they'd all, they'd all attest to that. Absolutely. That's your attitude. It's all about the vibe. There's no um, competitive instinct amongst men or women. When they paddle a sea kayak or a fast boat, that I've never. How do we get from Hogan Island to Deal Island? I've, I've, I've never seen uh, anyone, you know, talk about anything other than the vibe. The vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no. It, it is a, it's a lovely assumption that sea kayakers are not competitive at all. Uh, yeah, but it's a good, it's a nice myth. <laughs> okay, so you're off. You're racing. I'm off. Words. We're racing. Yep, and. Uh, I guess with with work commitments, something had to something had to go, and I couldn't f focus on sea kayaking and racing 
and work and family. So uh, sea kayaking took a back seat for a while. Marathon paddling became more important. Sea kayaking's quite random. Like, how's the weather? Where are we going? Who's going to come with me? Yep. A bit more planning, a bit more gear. Yep. Uh, there isn't a sea kayaking event on a Saturday in Windsor with 200 people where I rock along, paddle my race, no matter what the weather is, turn around, come home, train for it all week. There's more chaos to sea kayaking. It's something you need to have a tribe yeah. for doing it, especially if you want to actually go sea kayaking, like in the ocean. It, it's, it's, a, it is a, it's a different animal, isn't it? Look, and until, until uh, you know, a couple of other people in, the, in my local club uh, got interested in sea kayaking, the fact was that there was really not that many people to go, to go sea kayaking with. Yeah, um, and this is before it's... the days of skis. Oh, yeah. This is yeah. before the days yeah. when there were stable yeah. skis that people yeah. could go paddle at sea without yeah. being superstars. Oh. This is this is uh, before we saw the first ski in the Murray. Oh but, wow! But when we when we saw skis in the Murray, you know everybody went wow. You know, how good are they? Yeah. Okay. That was that was inevitable too. But uh, no, it was it was easier to go and do a marathon race on a Saturday or a Sunday uh, with 100, 200 other people as uh, part of your local club. As our, part of the local club, Sutherland Shire Canoe Club. Yep. And, you know, 20 or 30 people from the club would go and participate in an event. Like a club. Like a club. Like a footy club. Like a club. Everyone knows yeah. everyone. Yep. And, and it's a great club. It's a great, uh, it's a great thing to do as a, as a club. It, uh, you know, everyone gets together. They don't all paddle, but they're all there. The ones that aren't paddling are there supporting those that are. And there's, a, there's a 20K race, a 15K race, a 10K race. Yep. Now there's a 5K race. Yeah. yeah. So... This, uh, this coming year, we're looking at introducing a 2K race just to get more juniors on the water and to keep some of the older paddlers still on the water and interested. So you spark off into your racing. Yep. The Murray you just mentioned briefly a minute ago. What's that uh, for those who don't know? So the Murray is a, a, it's the race that you do after you do the Hawkesbury. You, you do the 111 Ks of the Hawkesbury overnight and your, your next aspirational target is the the Murray which is 404 kilometers over five days and that back in the day that was really competitive which was when it, when it was run by the Red Cross uh, it was run between Boxing Day and New Year's Day so it was the the five days in the break between Christmas and Boxing Day um, in the heat of summer all done during the day uh, in the in the in the deep sided uh, sides of the Murray River, deep big steep banks where the wind sometimes doesn't get, but when the wind does get down there, it's those knots come back into play again. <laughs> <coughs> Seriously, big knots, and they're uh, big days. They're 60, 60 70, 80 k well, days. They're, they're ninety. The first two days are over ninety kilometres. They're, they're, back to back you back up you do 90 something kilometers and you back up and do another 96 and not a lot of flow um depends some years some years there's good flow some years there's there's not yeah. but uh, you know i've had the pleasure of doing it once by myself in uh, in a single and uh, and then once again with a, another mate of mine in a double did you win it uh we won the first three days yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, yeah, we had good fun. It's yeah. a it's a great event. It's a, but it's not so much about winning. That's, yeah. that's a that's an event that's yeah. about to participation. Me, to me, when people ask me, oh, I've never done it, but when they come in and ask advice about how they should approach it, I always say, it's actually about recovery. Mm. It's actually about how well formed your paddle stroke is, how you're going to get through the day, yeah. and how you're going to pull up the next day to go again without blisters on your hands, without a wrist that's hurting, without sunburn. You know, day day three, I think. A guy that I trained with in the lead up to it said to me, the Murray is one of those races that you grow into. You actually paddle yourself into it. And and by day three, I felt absolutely dreadful. But by day four, I was actually starting to feel good. Yeah, just. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Hawkesbury, Murray. Yep. You, you're competitive. You, you've done a Hawkesbury and won a Hawkesbury? Uh, with uh, with the Commodore, we yeah. um, we we put a eight hour something. We we had a still a record. Still a record. Yeah, you've still got a record as an individual too, don't you? No. Nah, did no. I beat that? You beat that. Yeah. Did I? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bugger. Did Bugger. I did I mention that? No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's when you when you paddle the Hawkesbury, you aim for you know nine hours is good, but if you can get an eight hour eight hour anything eight hour fifty nine. That's an eight hour. Fifty nine is an eight hour Hawkesbury. That's so. Right. So the Commodore and I, actually, the same mate that I paddled the Murray with, we tried uh, for two years to get an eight-hour something in the Hawks in, in the Hawkesbury. We had a an eight oh one, a nine oh one, and then when the following year we had a nine oh three, and uh, and and then he said that's enough, and he got out, <clears throat> and then the Commodore jumped in for the following year, but my mate was uh, land crew, Jason Cooper. He uh, he land crewed for us for that year. So this and, is Christy Benjamin, the Commodore. Yeah, and uh, and we did a eight fifty seven. And the thing that thing that still uh, sits in my mind is that I think the most excited person when we finished when we got to the finish line was actually Jason. And uh, despite the fact that he and I had a couple of cracks at it and missed, he was so excited when Christy and I got across the line. It's fantastic. Christy recalls that as being very noisy. Uh, 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 you okay, Bob? Yep, fine. You all right, Bob? Yep, fine. She, she says that it, it is a, a bit of an experience. It's 111 k's. It's a long <laughs> way. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough gig. The Hawkesbury don't uh, don't underestimate it. Right, so you're still, as you know. So you're still sea hiking through this whole period, but really... Only occasionally. You've... you've Started off in kayaking, like many people, to be a sea kayaker. You've you've gone off on a tangent, um, which isn't a ridiculous tangent to do marathon paddling. And a lot of sea kayaking is marathon paddling. It's just on the ocean, yeah. not against a clock, unless you have to get somewhere before you get weathered in by something. Um, so you're involved in a club, and then you get involved with the peak body, paddling so Wales. Yeah, I, I sat on the. Uh on the marathon committee to, to run, to actually coordinate and run the marathon races and the series of races throughout New South Wales and to try and to try and put something back into the sport. I had a couple of really good years as a, as a paddler and as a participant at the, um, and I enjoyed the benefit of, of somebody else's endeavours in organising races and managing the point score and applying for aquatic licences and so forth. And I thought, 
there's an opportunity to put a little bit back. So I was asked by the the then uh, president of Paddle New South Wales to to um, sit with the marathon committee and uh, to join the marathon committee, and I and I did that and spent. Oh, I've, lo- I've lost count. Seven, eight, nine, ten years now on that committee. So these marathons, for someone like me, who, quite frankly, I'd rather stick forks in my eyes than paddle 20 k's on a river in a race because it's hard work. And at the end, you might have shaved a minute off your best 20k time for all that effort. Some people strive for a little bit more than a minute, Mark. Yeah, and you haven't caught a wave. And, and I mean, you know... There's boat wash. There's boat wash occasionally. Uh, I had a memorable one where I had to run up into the bushes and, and... I had a bit of a bad stomach, and everyone still talks about that. Uh, that's not boat wash. That's where I turned it into a. <laughs> I, t- I turned a marathon into an adventure race, um, but but the numbers have swollen from eighty, ninety to you turn up to a marathon race without a global pandemic, and there's two hundred people and clubs everywhere, and they're wearing their colours. It's, uh, it's skewed to sort of people from their mid-40s all the way up to people in their 80s. And it's an unbelievable atmosphere. It's it's uh, welcoming, it's friendly competitive, if there's such a word, uh, inclusive, you know, just a triumph. Absolutely. When you rock along to one, if you haven't been, you think, wow, how have I not known about this? This is fantastic. I think the, the key thing about the New South Wales Marathon Series is that it's it's an inclusive series, so it doesn't matter what boat you paddle, and there are people paddling sea kayaks in the marathon series on flat water. Uh, <clears throat> you get you put into a division where you're paddling against people of a similar speed. So it, you could be paddling against a novice, you could be paddling against a veteran of of seventy years of age. Um, and if that's the speed that you paddle at, then that's the that's the category or the division that you'll be entered in. Uh, and so it's really it's you against the clock, but you happen to be against the clock with a maybe 10, 15, 20 other people in your division. You're racing. You're racing. You're, you're yep. in a pack. You're around people. Yep. It's fun. Yep. And it's... then you, you paddle faster. You get promoted. You go up to the next division. Uh, and and those that that are motivated to do so you know they aspire to go from division seven to division two or division three and i'll tell you what in comparison to the sea kayaking community which i'm very much a part of in sea kayaking often you're as good as you say you are or you're as good as what you've done um in a community like marathon paddling where you're as the stopwatch tells you how good you are and what that actually means is Nobody can posture. Nobody can talk it up. Uh, you just are what you are. So that whole element of, uh, of, of, of ego, it disappears entirely. And people are left to just paddle and have a good time and enjoy one another's company it's and a share great, the experience. It's a great leveller. It is, It's yeah. a great leveller, but, it, yeah. but it's inclusive. So you see, you know, some of, it, some of the five-kilometre races that we introduced, we see now... You know, ten and twelve-year-old kids yeah. paddling off with seventy-five-year-old veterans and thirty-five-year-old mothers and and forty-year-old executives that are you know, as I was, kids have grown up, yeah. looking for a bit of exercise. Yeah, what can I do? Yeah, great. So, 
just to take off a little tangent here, so we're we're uh, very lucky here in, in New South Wales, which is a state of Australia. If you're if you're overseas, during this pandemic, we've been allowed to keep paddling. The um, the powers that be were going to blanket ban an awful lot of exercise, including what we do, and paddle New South Wales. Very um, humbly made the point that. Kiking is exercise. A lot of people who kayak can't run, can't cycle, maybe even aren't they good at walking. Um, it's a low impact sport. It's very much done out in the middle of nowhere without any, with, with good social distancing anyway. You know, really, we need, we, 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 we would implore you to consider it as an exercise that we're allowed to keep doing. In other places in Australia and definitely around the world, uh, they've considered that to be, to be uh, you know, persona non grata you can't paddle some of that's to do with traveling to, to, to the water um, Australia is very much a coastal dwelling place um, there's always somewhere to paddle within a 20 minute drive of where you live but we had advocates Paddle New South Wales made the case the the minister in charge agreed that, that it was a fair enough case and through this we've actually been able to, to keep on going so if you're a paddler around our parts around Sydney and New South Wales and you're wondering why you weren't sort of flicked off to your backyard as well or made to walk around your block and you're wondering what people like that on New South Wales do uh, well look no further if, you, if you're saying what do I ever get out of peak bodies like that they do have a reputation for looking after elite athletes and uh, and competitive Olympic style you know categories of paddling etc but it's been a bit of a triumph but without blowing their trumpet, because it isn't a time for blowing trumpets, and that's certainly what I'm trying to do here. But uh, you know, we're allowed to go paddling without having the finger pointed at us. Uh, one of my one of my paddling friends on Facebook, really well known guy, he put a post up um, saying something to the effect of, "Gee, I wish we could go paddling," and there were like 600 replies, most of them absolutely gunning him down. Um, we haven't faced that here and uh, you talk about peak bodies and paddling standing up for paddlers Bob you're you're part of the New South Wales setup I think you know really you guys need to, to take a little bow there um, because we haven't inflamed the situation we've again we're very lucky in Australia this pandemic hasn't got us uh, really compared to anywhere but uh, but that stuff could have been taken away and could have added to the angst and the anxiety of kayakers paddlers canoeists stand-up paddle boarders, and, and here we all are. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, the thing, I think New South Wales was about <clears throat> five minutes away from joining their Victorian colleagues and, uh, and being in a position where they, they were not going to be able to paddle. Um, and that's not just members of Paddle New South Wales, that's, that's all paddlers. So you don't have to be a member to, uh, to actually get the benefit of, of the work that Paddle New South Wales has been able to do. So, yeah, it's a good thing. We're on the water and we're enjoying it and making the most of it. We're staying apart. We're going in twos. I've seen paddlers all over the place in pairs because that's safe. And uh, uh, again, you know, things like this podcast, as I said, some of the stuff, pictures, photos, if they're cheering you up and you're not able to paddle, I hope they are. And um, in our neck of the woods, if you're wondering why you're able to keep doing it, you know, sometimes you, you, you don't realise what goes on in the background. Uh, it's something I'm, I'm very grateful for. 
Anyway, by the way, this crazy Valhaven IPA, that, that's a bit shit too. Yep. What do you reckon? Yep. First an aftertaste. One out of three so far. Yeah, this is yeah, terrible. Maybe yeah. he's not supposed to drink them out of the can. Maybe we nah. have to be have to be educated and have some sort of culture Mate. and drink it out of couture and drink it out of the glass. Mate, if a beer's not good enough to have out of a can, you shouldn't drink it. You should drink it. Get another one. Get yeah. another one. Yeah. Right. Okay. So marathon paddling, Hawkesbury Classic, the Murray Marathon. Um, yeah. In in amongst all that though, there was continued to go back to sea kayaking. So the Rob, Rob convinced me that despite the fact that the Impex Force 4 was a boat that I absolutely loved uh, and and I did develop my skills in the Force 4 I really uh, I, I, rudderless boat as you do as a rudderless yeah. boat but it was it was fantastic but he, he did tell me that you know Impex were coming up with a Force 5 which which was in uh, carbon fiber and uh, whereas the force four was was mostly fiberglass the uh, force five would have a higher deck which would be good for my longer legs carbon fiber was a little soft from memory ah uh, yeah but you know he he helped me in that he he, he assured me that there was a, a young guy in Tasmania that was absolutely desperate to get a hold of my force four and uh uh, if I could ever find that young guy in Tasmania, I'd get my Force 4 back because <laughs> the Force 5 was an absolute pig. <laughs> Rob Rob would never lead me astray, of course, but you know, it just wasn't the boat. I think it was... A, you, you might have been a little more athletic by then. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. needed a slightly bigger boat to fit those uh, big thighs into. Well, that was part of the problem, yeah. <clears throat> and he did oh. have a higher foredeck. It was supposed to give me a bit more room. Didn't. So the, the Sutherland Tri-Canoe guys started to get a little more interested in ocean paddling. We started Dolls Point Paddlers, uh, which was a weekly paddle in summertime in rough water where there was a community around you capable of pulling you out of the water so you didn't die if you fell in. Um, that was a big success. We started the sea kayak. We had a couple of uh, skills days. Yep. And then we did a fantastic trip around the Beecroft Peninsula. Yep. Uh, yep which people who you just can't even imagine would have been able to get out there and do it. Never done anything like that before in one of the most phenomenally beautiful one-day trips yeah. in a, imaginable. A great trip. Really uh, tremendous trip. Yeah. We, did a, we did a trip out to Broughton Island, which is a bit of a holy grail for, for sea kayakers around New South Wales as requiring quite a lot of planning. No small part of a bit, bit of skill if you're... Uh, if you're looking at weather and landings and possible possibilities of surf and tides and currents in and out of the place where you launch um so <clears throat> in the background there you ended up with a chris and uh chris and rob and i did the north reef trip in our tarrants that we just got now hands on which should pretty well pretty well changed the game as far as we were concerned and you promptly ordered a red one red red goes faster yeah yep we did Broughton Island. You had the Taran, suddenly a boat that was a little bit more like your racing boats. Well, the Taran was about the fifth or the sixth boat in my series of sea kayaks. Is your wife listening to this? No. Okay. <clears throat> no. She won't? I hope not. She won't get this far. Well, that, We would have bought it. It's okay because they are all red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Sorry again, just yeah, to cut in, this is a Balta XPA. Uh, this just says with enjoyment. Yep. So I will give this one a shot. 
Plain, it's a nice, it's a nice plain, can. Plain can. Plain can. White lime green on the it's bottom. Not, it's not promising a lot. No, it's got a smiley face on the Little back. Little smiley face. Yep. So anyway, 1.5 drinks. So yes, the Terran, Terran became boat number five or number six that I'd acquired from Expedition Kayaks. And uh, what a great boat. <clears throat> great boat, as long as you were great yourself and as long as you were ready to go when it said go. Quite often people caught waves on Tarans, but they didn't even want to catch. Yeah, yeah. You had to make a decision when you saw a wave come behind you. If you wanted to go, you just needed to nod your head and lean forward. And if you didn't want to go, you had to paddle like buggery to go backwards. Yeah. Yeah. But if you had the ability to paddle it, great boat. That North Reef trip we did in them was off the Richter in big water for days, you know, uh, trade winds, howling, big seas, fantastic. But turn around and get something out of your day hatch, going slow, you had to concentrate. <laughs> the trip back from Broughton was uh, it's probably the, the time for me where I learnt that it was a good boat to paddle by yourself or with a group that wanted to go fast. Uh, would have been a good boat to paddle with you across Bass Strait. Yeah. Not that you wanted to go fast at any stage. Yeah, just yeah. if it was me. It's about the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so my argument there is you don't see much less at eight and a half kilometres an hour than you do at five and a half kilometres an hour. No. There's, there's not a lot of the journey that you miss. No. You know. But you wanted to paddle faster than eight and a half well, kilometres an hour. But anyway, who's, yeah. who's competing? Who's competing? Yeah. Yes. So, but I did, I did did dawn on me that the Taran at that point where you were you know where the group was was wasn't making pro the progress that you want to make which means you just want to keep paddling and not have to worry about stopping um and I think you and I worked it out between us in the end you'd take a run then I'd take a run then you'd take a run then I'd take a run um but it's hardly ideal and uh and so to that end you know when we when we got to do the the opportunity came to do the Bass Strait Crossing, um, it was pretty easy for me to, to say to Rob that, you know, um, as much as I'd love to do it in the Tarran, it really, I think I really need to do it in an Audax. So 11 years down the track, um, I, it was Gaz's idea, wasn't it? Was Gaz, Gary Forrest. It was Gaz's trip. Yeah, he said, he said I'm going to, he, he'd had a go the year before and tried to paddle from Tasmania to the mainland Australia and had a bit of a stiff run with the wind and, and, and only made it as far as the top of Flinders Island. Good thing for us. Good thing for us. Yeah. Because he spent a lot of time on Flinders Island, made friends with the locals, which came in handy later on. I, I, I had no ambition to do the trip myself because I knew from listening to people, watching what was involved, that paddling across Eastern Bass Strait is a grind. And when you look at the speed people go, historically... If you were to tally up all of the Eastern Bass Strait trips over the last... Not that speed's an issue for me. No, no, but however long it's been, you know, you'd be, you're pretty pretty hard to find anyone who's gone faster than about 5Ks an hour. And that is punishing uh, when you're doing crossing. It's not punishing when you're tracking along the coastline and soaking it all up and going into caves yeah. and having a great day on the water. But A to B, 5Ks an hour, my God, you've got to be kidding me. 10 hours for a 50k crossing uh, I mean 
Yeah, narrow- would like, wouldn't have liked to have done the deal crossing. Hogan to deal at no, 5k an hour. No, you're, you're narrowing your margins for all no. sorts of things. So I, it never interested me. However, Gazza put it forward. Bob here had decided that was the way to realise his his initial sort of hey, 13, raison, 13 years later. raison d'etre for getting a oh, bit of French there, mate, to for getting into <laughs> sea kayaking. Um, Rob was in because you know basically he can do whatever he likes. And, and the trickster, pretty much the same. You know, he wasn't sort of protecting some wealthies and suburbs socialite. And, well, he uh, was moving to Tasmania. He was moving to Tasmania. What so better all, way to move? So he got his wife, Kim, to take all that stuff on a, like a removalist truck, and Andrew just paddled his little bit across on a kayak. So good man. the scene was set. We, um, we decided we were going to do it. I, I had plans of, of maybe five or six days. Bang, 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 bang. That many? Selling 300 Ks. We'll knock that off in no time. We um, six days. So we we are, I, I, being this being a celebrity, you know, I flew into Melbourne Airport while Bob and, uh, and and Rob drove all our boats down on our trailer on the back of Bob's Land Cruiser, and the plan was that Gaza would pick up Andrew at the Spirit of Tasmania at Port Melbourne, come and get me from the airport and then drive us to Port Welshpool where we would start the expedition and Port Welshpool by the way the Las Vegas of the south if you've ever been there oh, that place <coughs> goes off off anyway so I'm hopping off the plane poncing along with my hand luggage because these guys have taken everything down we get into Gaz's car the Trix is in the front Gaz is obviously driving uh, he knows Andrew from a couple of paddles up in Sydney Tuesday nights. He knows me, obviously, because we've been mates for years, and Rob. But he's never met Bob. And Gaz is quite hard of hearing. And he only needs to hear someone's name once to get it wrong. And as hopefully everyone listening to this podcast knows, if somebody gets someone's name wrong and they ask you what it is, you're a lot better to go along with that wrong name just because it's funny when they finally meet them. So Gazza turns around to me in the back seat and says, Right, are you in good form? And I said, Yep, how about you? Andrew says, Yep. He goes, I know Mercer will. He goes, But tell me all about this Don bloke. (laughs) (laughs) And Andrew looked at me and I looked at Andrew and I said, Well, Don's a Hawkesbury Classic, Murray Marathon champion, great marathon paddler, big strong fella, been out to Broughton, he'll be absolutely fine. And he goes, well, I've never met, I've never met Don, but you know. And we said, well, Gazza, you'll meet him soon. He'll be at the caravan park shortly. An hour and a half later, we're at our cabin at uh, Port Welshpool, and Rob and uh, and Bob turn up with the trailer, and uh, we sort of sit back, Andrew and I. So there he is, come say good day. <clears throat> And Gazza goes, as he does, he's a very confident man, Gary. Gazza, if you're listening, you know, that, that is what we think of you, mate. You're a very confident man. He wanders straight over to the car. As soon as Bob's opened the door, he says, G'day, Don, I'm Gazza. <laughs> and we all fell around hysterical laughing. Rob didn't know what had happened. Um, when he saw Andrew and I falling on the floor, giggling like a pair of seven-year-olds, he, he was in on the whole thing. And uh, from that point forward, Mate, you were known as the Don. The Don. Yeah. The Don. Yeah. And I I had one look at Gazza and realised that there was just no point. No point? No point. You, you could just, tell him your name was Bob yeah. ten times yeah. and he would yeah. keep calling you Don. Yeah. The giveaway was you and the trickster rolling around on the grass. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So Port Welsh Pool is like, uh, how would you describe it? It's like a an the Las Vegas of the South, an abandoned yeah. coal mining town stuck on a river <clears throat> with black mud around. Um, there was a pub, a pub, a uh, boatyard, a boatyard, a caravan park that was, uh, well. Still trying to understand why it was there. Why it was there. Yeah. Who would go there? But why, it was yeah. there. Yeah. Other um, than sea kayakers on their way to Tasmania. Mercer had said to the other guys, unbeknownst to me, we are about to undertake a very serious sea kayaking expedition. Whatever you do... He told me that for two days, two, driving from Sydney to, to Port Welshpool, he told me this is a very serious undertaking. Whatever you do, whatever Sundon gets up to, when we get to Port Welshpool, don't partake because it won't end well and we do have to go and do some very serious stuff. Don't let Mark have a big night, <laughs> was what he said. For two days, he told me. Yeah. Don't let Mark turn the first night into a big night. So that was the plan? How'd that go? Really well. <laughs> <laughs> two in the morning, Bob's opening the... Um, fortified wine that you've kept especially to remember your mum we're all toasting your mum yep talking over plans for tides and currents and all that four shouts of beers four shouts of red wine all that all that bass straight sort of weather stuff that you guys you all seem to be quite obsessed with and I thought well seriously all we need to do is put our heads down paddle hard and we'll get there well Rob had told me for two days on the way down that when we got there we would have the next day preparing our paddle plan oh, yeah, no. and that we would lodge our paddle plan with maritime and uh, emergency services or whatever they were before we left. However, there was a damn good forecast. <laughs> there was a good forecast. Yeah. And maritime was closed at closed. 2 a.m. Yeah, that's right. So we got up the next morning and left. We got up, we headed off. Uh, Slowly. We shot out of Port Welsh Pool <laughs> with a tide and a wind behind us, sails up, going 11.5 k's an hour. Well, I have to say that we... We went faster on the water than we did on the land. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of land movement happening. <laughs> no. It was a very long, long carry of the uh, kayaks to the water's edge. Slow prep. We, um, we, I, I thought we were going great. I was feeling fantastic. We'd done 22 k's in two hours. Like, you know, this is how I expected everything to go. We're on fire here. And we started, we lined up this island called Rabbit Island. Rabbit. Yep. And Gaza was off the back. And I had warned Gaza that this group might go quite quickly. Uh, and he better be in shape and he assured me he was because he is quite a confident man been training with Clint Robinson training with Clint Robinson up on the Sunshine Coast and then uh, Andrew and I are at the front having a chat and we heard this horrendous sound and we we were convinced he'd been eaten by a shark gone down gurgling and screaming but actually actually it's a projectile vomit amazing massive as soon as it happened I looked across at Rob Rob looked at me and thought, my God, what was that? Like those water ships in the harbour when they welcome like, the Queen's boat oh, and they're spraying water cannons. Phenomenal. Oh, massive vomit. I don't even... Since like The Exorcist. I don't know if anyone's seen The Exorcist. Whew, it was all happening. Close. Close. So we've got about 10 minutes to rabbit oil and we're thinking, oh, poor Gazza. You know, we've done him in here. And uh, we're standing on the sand. He pulls up, not looking too good, reaches into his day hatch cracks open a can of sardines and then eats them out of the bowl with a fork yep. and drinks all the sardine juice. At which time four other paddlers 
<laughs> came very close to their own projectile we, we, vomit. We were nearly projectile vomiting. Oh. We trust on from there into Refuge Cove. Beautiful place. Uh, set up our tents. Uh, living the dream. Mercer told us there was a spot just up above. Just up above where we were camping, uh, Bob. Short walk. Short walk. A short walk. One of Mercer's n- notorious short walks. Short walks. And from there, I promise you, Bob, you'll be able to see where we're going to paddle to tomorrow. Hogan Island. Because you haven't done a crossing. No. You've never done an open ocean crossing. No. So the idea of being able to eyeball that little target, that would have been a re- very reassuring thing. It might have helped. Yeah. 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 And you probably would have been prepared to do a bit of walking to have a bit of a, a look at that, that little target. Only there. a little bit. <clears throat> I'm not. I'm not a big fan of walking. That's why I paddle. What do you reckon? Two hours? Uh, and some. And in true Mercer fashion, when we got there, to the very top of this hill. Surprise, surprise! It's fogged in, and you can't see anything. Barely see your hand. Unbelievable. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Back we go, down the hill, nearly twisting our ankles, cursing Mercer for his walking thing that he does. Uh, And then up the next morning, we've got this incredible forecast. We've got a 55-kilometre crossing from where we are at the the southern tip of Australia, alongside Wilson's Promontory, out to Hogan Island, which is is pretty much due east of where we are. And we had a 20-knot westerly forecast for most of the day. So we chug out of Refuge Cove, chuck, throw our sails up, and bang, we're, we're there in five hours. You know, we're going to absolutely smoke it alive, which we do. <clears throat> we're uh, firing along for the first couple of hours. Yep. My, my memory of that is just a fantastic day. I'd, I'd, I'd had a sense of fear on day one as we pushed off. Am, so I, am I really up for this? But an ocean crossing of that distance, that's a, that's a pretty, especially a place like that. Day one, Dave, before we even got to the ocean crossing, I was questioning, am I really up for this? Yeah. When we landed, when we came to Refuge Cove, it was choppy and shitty on the outside. Gazza had been telling me about these things called overfalls. Oh, that, yeah. yeah and Mark had forgotten to tell me about. And uh, uh, anyway, we worked our way through that. So when we headed off for the first open water crossing to the point where when you look around in 360 degrees and you can't see anything other than water and uh, and I remember Mark paddling up beside me as we were we had sails up we were sailing we were having an absolute tremendous time and I remember Sunday paddling up beside me and saying hey Don you know the worst part about this <laughs> I said, no, mate, tell me. He said, the worst part about this is it's all going to be over in just a couple of hours. We've only got 28 k's to go. We're smoking it. Like, really? You'd do this all day, wouldn't you? Yep. How good is this? Absolutely. And then the wind dropped pretty well five or ten minutes after I said that. Yep. And then this big brown bank came behind us. Of It looked like every farmer's bit of topsoil in South Australia had landed on the horizon. And we all cursed because the wind disappeared. So we, we dropped our sails down and started paddling again. And then about 15 minutes later, it arced up again from a slightly different angle. So we, beauty, threw the sails up. And then about five minutes after that, it had gone to a rather more 
uh, unfavourable angle, pretty much side on. And, and the colour changed from that really deep iridescent blue, went through to brown, and then suddenly went black. black. The water went black. The, water the sky went black. went black. Everything was a monotone <clears throat> black. Black. And suddenly the waves started barreling, crashing on top of us, right on our beam. Uh, so we obviously pulled our sails down because it had got up. It was a, uh, the observations afterwards were a near gale, so 38, 39 knots recorded at Hogan Island. Yeah. And the shallowness of Bass Strait, the way it changes so fast, the tide was still running opposite to the wind. Uh, you've never seen a day like it. It was great fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, look. As a first crossing. Yeah, my, second, my second memory of that is, is Gazza paddling up beside me. Hey, Don, Don, I need to know. You need to know what, Gazza? I need to know, are you comfortable in this? <laughs> <laughs> and my immediate thought was, and what if I'm not? What can I do about <laughs> it? What are you going to do about it? And that's just before Gazza got hit broadside by a four metre wave, like a wave on Coogee Beach. And as it hit him, he yelled out really loudly, Gazza! <laughs> and got barreled sideways. In the middle of the ocean, in the middle of Bass Strait. He was, he was three metres off my right-hand side, and then as his voice faded into the <laughs> distance, he was he was the best part of 50 to 60 metres away. So I'm sitting behind Bob, and a wave smashes into him from the side and knocks his pump off. And I thought, oh, he's lost his pump. That's a bit of a bummer. First day, you know, you might need one of those things if your electric fails. So I'll go get it. And I just allowed my boat to turn downwind because it was now on our beam. I grabbed his pump with my right hand, shoved it under my back bungee cords, just got my hand back onto my paddle, and the next thing you know, my boy picked me up from behind and endowed me in the middle of that straight. I'd driven down, buried up to my chest, spat out vertically, spun around in the air and landed on my hull. No GoPro, so it never happened. And then I looked around at these blokes and said, did anyone see that? <laughs> And they're all too busy watching the gale unfolding around. Everyone went, nah. And unfortunately, Bob lost his pump for a second time. Well, you you paddled up beside me and said, did you see that? Yeah. Did you see that? I got endowed in the middle of Bass Strait. I said, <laughs> I didn't see that, but what happened to my pump? <laughs> Sorry, champ. Pump's gone. So we, we, we had about four hours of that. And I've got to say, that's the best day's paddling I've ever had in my life. For Bob, as his first ever open ocean crossing, I've got to say, well, you know... You can't imagine a bigger day on the ocean than that, mate, for, for kicking off into things. As, as I said to you recently, he, um, that day <clears throat> I probably experienced every possible emotion that you can when you paddle. Oh, there was a bit there of fear was, there. There was fear, but there was, there was excitement, there was, there was enjoyment, there was the, the pleasure of success, there was, you know, the... Knowing that you've actually been able to get through something like that, uh, and, in good style, and and tell stories about it in good style, in good style, not a, not a, not a oh my god, I thought I was going to die, but I never thought I was going to die. No, <laughs> uh, nah, no, I never thought I was going to die, um, but uh, there's a few times I thought this is probably at the limit of my skill set. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was at the limit of, of a few people's skill sets that day. I think we yeah. uh, we were we were as a group 
I, I'm glad it didn't get any more intense. But Jesus, I look back on it fondly. It was so much fun. So we rock into Hogan Island, which is this beautiful um, bare island, almost like a Scottish Hebridean island. Really, oh. no trees. The winds drop to nothing. We chuck our tents up. There's this new hut they've built after the last one burnt down. And then we sat down. Someone left an office chair there. Pulled out our chairs. Sat on this little ledge overlooking the hole of the vista we just paddled through. Cracked a bottle of uh, Lagavulin. Andrew Andrew pulled out a bottle. Lagavulin, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and offered it around for everyone to have a little sip. And what we've realised straight away is that when you're on an expedition with five guys and you've got a 750ml bottle of very expensive single malt, that's really only one big glass each. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. He was, uh, I think, suitably surprised when he realised that it was empty. It was all gone. <laughs> <laughs> we relived yep. the day. We sat in the cabin. Gazza, uh, as he does, uh, if there's a chance to not put his tent up and sleep in a hut, he'll take it. Yeah. Um, it's renowned for being rat infested, although that's not the case now since they've redone it. So Gazza thought, oh, well, there's no rats. I'll sleep on the... Uh, Floor, and then he thought, "Oh, there are rats." You guys, you guys can all put your tents up. You guys put. Your tents I, I'm up. going to sleep inside the tent. I'll sleep in, in the, the cabin in the hut. So Gaza, then he then he thinks, "Oh, there are rats." So he decides he'll sleep on top of the table. Now he but wasn't he, worried about the rat. First of all, he was. <laughs> first of all, he was, and then he thought, "The rats will get me on the ground." There's no rats. Why are there no rats? What what eats rats? Yes. What's up the chimney? Snakes do. <laughs> So in the middle of the night, he moved his entire sleeping kit onto the table. But he didn't realise it was one of those Bunnings trestle tables. They're quite unstable. Yeah. And for some, by some miracle, he managed to get himself set up on top of it without falling off. And then in the middle of the night, it started to sway and he thought, oh my God, I'm on a Bunnings table. So he had to lie there dead still for the next seven hours. <laughs> yeah, he was looking very ordinary on the morning he was he and was. we all had very nice sleeps in our yeah, tents yeah, yeah it didn't stop him from taking the next up though no 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 we uh but Eastern Bass Strait for those of you who don't know is a, a series of island crossings you begin at uh, Wilson's Promontory uh, whether you come from Tidal River or Refuge Cove where we came from and you uh, head up to Hogan then across to Deal Island the Kent Group which is this amazing Jurassic Park Island group from there, it's a, a reasonable crossing, sometimes up to 70 kilometres to get to Flinders, which is the big island in the middle of the strait. And then from that point, you, you sort of wind your way down pretty much along the coast mm. to, uh, to the final stop at Clark Island, or in our case, Preservation Island. And you have a really nasty little crossing at the end across a, a, a I guess best described as a 25 kilometre wide river which is banked straight, really awful bit of water to get to Tasmania. So you, you, can't, you can't really take on big, big stuff. It's, it's so unpredictable. It's very well forecast. But what we came to realise was that the, 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 the forecasts predict the lulls really well. They don't predict the variations in the days where you are marginal. And we were quite prepared to take on marginal. You know, as we did on day one, we had a 20 knot westerly, a late change over our right shoulders that would have brought some pretty crappy weather um, if it had got us, but we were going to be there by then. Unlike where we paddled in Sydney, uh, that came in heaps earlier and heaps harder. Uh, where we live in Sydney, forecasts are really reliable. Down there, they're not. They're, they're a 
bit of an approximation, really. And it caught us on the first day. So after that, we had an incredibly calm day from, uh, from Hogan Island to Deal. Almost, I think on our video, I called it Bass Lake. Oily. Oily. You could Oily. see a reflection. Yeah. Um, we were all a bit down from the day before. We were, we were pumped up for some, some, some yeah. more good stuff. Looking so for some action. 45 Ks in sort of seven hours didn't really do it for us. We were all a bit slug, slug by the time we got there. You did get to wash ride. I did get a wash ride off a, um, <laughs> off a, a big um, outrigger, didn't big, I? Big catamaran. Catamaran, yeah. yeah. Got right yeah. up on his wash. Yeah. You guys weren't fast enough. No. No. Feel it. Speed, it's yeah. all about the vibe. All that acceleration I've developed over the years. <laughs> um, and rather than rather than stop it at uh, the first island, Erith, which is only a half, half a kilometre from the main island, we, we shot out around to this unbelievably beautiful cove called Winter Cove uh, we surf landed in there set up camp uh, we had a reasonably favourable forecast the next day we could have gone based on the forecast and then we sat around and discussed just how inaccurate the forecast was for our Hogan crossing and whether we would like to have another near gale for five hours in the middle of a 70 kilometre crossing and decided that probably that wasn't the right thing to do. So I remember, I remember Rob saying before we left <clears throat> not to fall into the trap of trying to beat the forecast. Yeah. Don't try and race a front. All the epics at Bass Strait have involved yeah. people trying to race a westerly front, yeah. and that's what we had. So we sat and talked about it. There's a very robust quintet of fellas. Uh, we weren't we weren't afraid to let each other know what we thought, but but no one sulked. You know, they, they were, we were pretty good about it. What it really meant was that we were stuck on Deal Island for four days, and I was a little antsy about that because I have a family and kids and hadn't think thought for a second that. The weather might mess around with my bass straight crossing. <laughs> six, six days. <laughs> but there we were. Uh, tough gig. Tough gig. Tough gig. Swim Mate. with the dolphins. Seriously, if Deal Island was accessible to the world, it would be yeah. the greatest tourism spot ever. It's yeah. the most amazing, amazing island. Yeah, That's, it was. A, it was. I, I remember Andrew asking me almost every day. Are you sure we're in Tasmania? Because because <laughs> once you leave Hogan, you're actually in Tasmania. But it it could have been the Whit Sundays. Oh. Could have been anywhere up in the Whit Sundays. Throw Just a line in, catch a flathead or a salmon. Yeah. Like got sick of eating fish. Yeah, what were those things you were catching? Well, I was into the wrasse. You were in the wrasse. That's what I ruined yes. your cook pot with. Yes, <laughs> making wrasse soup. <laughs> so I didn't think it was necessary to take a lot of food on this expedition because we were going to do it so fast. Six days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had... Six backcountry meals. I had three days food on me and obviously a stop at the uh, shop, which was at about the halfway mark. And on Deal Island, I actually ran out of food pretty much. So I had to bludge off these blokes. However, I did point out to them that I was making the movie and making them famous and therefore they should feed me. Right. With the camera <laughs> that had the flat battery. And the drone and that the drone fly. That we're not allowed to fly. Because it's too high. Because we're too high. 
after we'd gone on one of Mercer's notorious Long walks. short walks to the top of the lighthouse, to the top of the highest lighthouse in the southern hemisphere, that should have given it away, really. Uh, the highest be... lighthouse in the southern hemisphere. That's got to be on top of a hill. It's got to be clue. It's got to yeah. be on top of a hill. Yeah. And yeah. what about when we got there and he broke into it? Uh, did he break into it? Well, we certainly ended up inside. <laughs> I don't think we were allowed to be. Uh, we're not supposed to be inside. Oh, what the hell? We've had a few beers. Uh, anyway, no. no one's listening. No. Anyone listening? <laughs> um, we get our we get out. Well, we had three days there. We had an amazing weather window to get to, to Flinders Island, and one day only, literally one day only, and we set up a wash for Gaza. Yep. We chucked Gaza on the back of a wash ride. It was so calm. We did like a marathon-style wash ride. Yep. Yeah, we put a put, put him on the back of Rob's wash, yeah. and we had him wash ride Rob. Yeah, this is like a 70-kilometre crossing that, that historically people have done in 17 or 18 hours. We knocked it over in nine without raising a sweat, with Gazza sitting on a wash. Uh, another one of those days where you could see a reflection in the mirror, the, uh, the albatross swooping down over your boat. The, yeah, yeah. A, yeah. a gorgeous day on the water. Absolutely. But, but not what you expected from Bass Strait. No, but we weren't to wait long to see. No. We landed at this island, Royden Island, where Gaza had finished his trip the year before, the northernmost point he'd gotten to. Another, was, one, another one of those Whit Sunday arrivals. He was dying to get there because yeah. it was a hut. It was a hut. Yeah. yeah. And well, he told us, like, it's a 70k paddle, and I think somewhere around about the fifth kilometre he told us that he was going to have the hut. I'm having the hut. Yeah. Find Gaza. Yeah. We knew there was a front coming the next day. We didn't know what time. We had 35k's to get to civilization to buy our baby wipes. In my case, to actually buy food from the uh, their lone IGA in Bass Strait. And we got up the next morning. It was unusually warm. A really strong northerly wind unsettled danger signs everywhere if we'd had a crack we might have half made it and about two hours into what would have been our paddle the next day all hell broke loose uh, a storm a proper nautical storm 80 knots 80, 80 knots recorded only three kilometers yeah, away uh, yeah. nothing like i've ever seen like being in an imax theater yeah. and that raged on for three days in the middle of it uh, Andrew Trickett, you know, he's a bit of an inner city dude. I was wearing my Teavers with my socks. And he said, you know, you can't do that. That's <laughs> that sort of shit. You can't, I don't care where you are. That's not acceptable. The Don and, and, and Gaza said, no, 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 I think that's probably okay. You know, we had a bit of a debate. We, we five men together on an island in the middle of the storm for three days. We, we, we didn't have a lot to talk about. We not were much start, else to do. Starting to get a bit heated. So I, I, I said, well, let's let the court of... of uh, of public opinion decide we had internet access believe it or not chucked it up on facebook is this or is this not acceptable on an expedition in the middle of bass strait and we had 475 comments <laughs> that raged raged for almost two days we, we had we had entertainment from people <laughs> telling us yes it's good no it's not you can't do that two days yeah. two days it filled in the next two days while we were stuck while there. we were stuck there yeah. we, yeah, endless entertainment. Yeah. yeah, which told you two things. People love the idea of following a bunch of idiots paddling across Bass Strait, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and obviously the the big one, sandals and socks. Hey, that, that ain't that ain't quite as clear cut as you think. Well, there was no. I don't think that there was a final decision, was it? No, 
No, no. points decision wasn't awarded in any direction. We we truck again. We truck off Royden Island in the dark because we've got to get to the Seven Eleven or the IGA before it shuts, which is about eleven o'clock on a Saturday. So we leave at five. It's thirty-five k's. We've still got the remnants of this big westerly storm howling through, but nowhere near what it had been. And had another one of those amazing days. Big westerly swirl, sunrise. Sunrise was was probably the best sunrise on the water. Spray flying, you know, howling along. Amazing. And in a left-handed Audax. An Audax that wouldn't turn right. In an Audax. Zoolander. And I... I, I, you know, I remember getting frustrated with this Audax that just continually broached to the left. And uh, <laughs> there were three other Audaxes on that trip. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't broaching. Now they were all going straight. We were my, wondering whether Bob might have got one that we accidentally warped in the mould. You know? Was yellow. It was yellow. It was yellow. Was, Could have been a banana. Yeah. And I was thinking perhaps it's got banana tendencies. Until after a series of expletives. And, uh, and Rob paddled up beside me and I looked at him and I said, this bloody left-handed Audax is... And he looked at me and he just, in his Rob style... Would this be something like that look he gave you in your Red Point 65? Uh, it was a, it's a look I've seen and I'm quite familiar with. And, uh, and he looked at me and he just said, Don, it's not the boat. And then he paddled off. Well, you'd expect a designer to say that, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, you would. You what would. a wanker. I you mean, would. Really. I mean, really. And it, <laughs> which caused me to think for a moment, perhaps it's not the boat. But at least it's turning left. And 13 years ago, I couldn't turn left. So well, And let's face it. To progress. Get to, to get to Flinders Island, we did have to turn we left. We had to go left. Yeah. Progress. We whizzed in. We got there in three hours. So we were there at like nine in the morning. And the benefits of Gaz's failed attempt the year before were to the fore because he made friends with this old fella called Matt who owned a winery and he was there to greet us with a esky full of VB. And other beers. And other beers. Yes. That he hadn't drunk because he thought they were not worthy. Some people don't drink those beers. No. Some, some types of people don't drink those beers. I don't know what he'd think of our Bolter and our Ballistic and our Willie the Boatman well, I'm not sure. That, not sure that you could actually put it on a I'd say podcast. Be, I'd, yeah, I'd say Matt would be quite offended by the yeah. whole. Yeah. Gave us his car. Not as offended as he was by your description of your, his wine. Of his wine. <laughs> you gave us and your his intimate car. knowledge of his wine. We went to uh, a pub on the northern side of Flinders Island because we hadn't sort of had any fun for a few days, and uh, about 15 minutes into our little session of uh, celebration on landing in a place of civility, the uh, entire Liberal Party of Tasmania descended in their blue Liberal Party t-shirts. Yes. We thought, who are these guys? What's going on? We don't care. And then Gaza looked over and said, oh, that's the Victorian, the the Tasmanian Premier. And we said, no, it's not. And he said, listen, I live down here six months of the year. That is the Tasmanian Premier. His name's Will someone. And we said, Gaza, mate, you've been on an island for too long. There's no way that is the Premier of Tasmania. This is like the Prime Minister of Tasmania. And uh, and he went, oh, really? So in the middle of a full-blown television interview with nine cameras and 17 microphones, Gaza pushed his way through, held out his hand and said, g'day, mate. 
My name's Gazza, and I just paddled across Tasmania, across that strait with those more poofters over there. <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of cameras and microphones trained on Gazza at that point, were there? Yeah. The look, uh, the look on the on the premier, the premier, the, the look on the premier's face was was priceless. The look on his PA's face, yes, was even better. Even better, yeah, yeah. How because, do we control this? Because she was totally at a loss. I think she she looked at Gazza and thought, "We can't control this." So I couldn't let the moment escape. I wandered over to my camera and said, "Excuse me, Mr. Premier, would you mind taking a photo there with Gazza?" They posed, and I instantly posted it on Facebook and said, the Premier of Tasmania, Will Hodgman, on hand to welcome Gazza and congratulate him on his successful Bass Strait crossing, because that had closed Gazza's loop getting to there from where we were. Um, the next day, the uh, the old fellows at the winery took us to their, their place, showed us around the vineyards, cooked us a beautiful lunch. lunch. We're having Pinot Noir. We, we, were, we had lunch cooked for us by the... Ex-girlfriend. ex-girlfriend of the Prime Minister of Australia. Not the not the Premier of Tasmania, no. but the Prime Minister of Australia. Yeah, Harold Holt. Harold Holt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had Pinot Noir. We what had... a great story she had to tell too. About Harold? Yes. Yes. How? What do you think he was like? She said, man is a cut snake. No wonder he drowned. Yes. Yeah, and a few other stories <laughs> <laughs> that we can't tell. No. But... Uh, so there we are, relaxing. We've, we're expeditioners. We've, we've, we've had our little celebration. And then Mercer says, you know, there are two types of people who battle across Bass Strait. The ones who climb Mount Strezlecki and the ones who don't. And Mount Strezlecki is a 700 and something metre high peak that rises off the ocean into the clouds. Uh, I thought it was just a bit of a hill walk. Uh, I thought, oh yeah, whatever. I'm having a good time. It won't take long. Well, I don't know. Faced, faced with the prospect of another one of Mercer's notorious short walk, walks. Short walks. Yeah, I was happy to be one of those paddlers who cross Bass Strait and who don't climb Streslicky. In hindsight. However. So he dragged us up there. It was the worst walk He ever. shamed us up there. Shame, he shamed us. He didn't drag us up there. He yeah, shamed he us. He shamed us. Yes. He did. He shamed us. Yep. It was peer pressure. It was, yep. Like We were guilted into it. When a man of his sort of mana... Says, will you or won't you? Well, you know, you want to be at the alpha, right? You can't just say, no, no, champ, I'm fine. I'm going to by a sixty-year-old. I'm going to stay here with my my kingfish and my pinot noir and my ukulele and my 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 great banter with Harold Holt's girlfriend and and, and your mate with his, with double, his double bass. Base. Yeah. So off we went. It was a terrible day. Couldn't see anything. We went to the top. Well, it's another one of those fogged in fogged in Mercer walks. <laughs> when we when we left, it was clear blue sky and yep. Uh, and if you avoided the snakes, lots of snakes, uh, and if you avoided... Nobody actually said that it was mountain climbing. Well, it was supposed Look, to be a walk. But I'm, I'm not you, sure that you were actually meant to be mountain climbing. If you use your hands on a walk, it's not really a walk. Hands and knees. Hands and knees. Yeah. And there is a great photo of you right underneath the summit. I don't think you got to the summit. We went, Bob, there's the summit. And you went, I don't care. This is as far as I'm going. That's this it. is rubbish. Because? It was rubbish. It was rubbish. And it was fogged in. <laughs> and in typical Mercer fashion when we got there, <laughs> 700 and something... Couldn't see anything. How does fog get 700 and something metres oh, up in the sky? Especially when it's sunny. It's the most beautiful day. And after we sprained your ankle, yeah. my ankle, yeah. broke a toe, yeah. right, avoided the snakes, 
got right back down to the bottom. Look back up. Clear sky. Clear sky. Yeah. Clear Amazing. sky. So we made him cook us the last of the kingfish. Why did we do that? Yeah. Yeah. And then the next day, when we finally left, we were faced with more knots. 50 of them. 50 knots. <laughs> at one stage. In 50 inches of water. At one stage, we were paddling in a metre of water off the beach in front of Mount Strezlecki again. It kept getting us. 50 metres off the beach. No, 10 metres off the beach. 10 metres off. And People we were... on the beach were walking past us. <laughs> there we were, the brave Bass Strait paddlers going 500 metres an hour with our heads down paddling as hard as we could. Yep. Yeah, it would have been quicker to, to take adopt marathon skills yeah. and portage. Portage. We could yeah. have run. You could have picked your boat up Put a little and line, carried it. little yeah. line on your boat. Yeah. There we go. Atrocious. So from, from where we were, that was a place called uh, White... White Mark. White Mark. To, um, to Trousers Point. To Trousers Point. Matt, uh, Gaz's mate, turned up with another box full of beer for us. If there's a theme developing, well, you know, we're on it. And, and from there, we had more headwinds, 20, 25 knot headwinds all the way to a place called Preservation Island. Well, we is... nearly didn't. We nearly didn't because Mercer went... AWOL. He decided he was going to go for another one of his notorious walks. But none of us would go with him. But no one went with him. That's right. Yes, and he went on his own. He had no friends by then. Yeah. And he got lost. <laughs> and he nearly didn't make it back. Yeah, and in the dark. And nobody was all that keen to go and look for him Except either. Except for you. I said I would go and look for him. Yeah. And you decided that that might not be the best outcome for him if I were to find him. But you were carrying a knife. <laughs> <laughs> so from that point in Bass Strait, you truck along through these beautiful islands, uh, preservation islands, rich with history, the wreckage of the Sydney Cove, and then uh, and then you're off to um, Clark Island and the crossing to 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 Tasmania. And Gaza had done that the year before, twice. And uh, we figured he knew what he was doing. And it is a bit of a notorious uh, stretch of water in that regard. And he kept pointing at this thing that Rob was sure was not Little Muscle Road Bay, our final destination. And Gaza was equally adamant that it was. And in the end, he wasn't quite... Uh, what's that you got there, Bob? <laughs> in the end... Uh, we got there thanks to, uh, to, to to Gaza's... Well, not thanks to Gaza's. Well, Gaza's determination and vision, but Rob's navigation. Yes. Which was better than where we were headed, according to Gaza. Yeah, Gaza thought was, we were going to New Zealand. No, he thought we were going to something Bichino. Oh, Bichino. Which you're not allowed to say. But he thought, he thought we were definitely going to Bichino, which is... Well further down the uh, the east coast of Tasmania, um, and fact is that thanks to Rob's navigation, we were never ever headed to Bishano. But thanks to Gaz's lack of navigation, we were headed well west of where we really wanted to be. When you finish a Bass Strait crossing at Little Musaro Bay, you kind of go through this tiny little surf break into a boat ramp, and it's pretty nondescript. And uh, there you are standing there; it's all over. Um, the, the journey is certainly a lot better than the, the destination when you arrive there. Um, and uh, we had a, a quite a famous photo, really, of the three of us opening, four, four of us, five of us, opening a bottle of champagne and 
spraying everywhere. And it wasn't really intended for you. No. <laughs> I got stung Gaz's, by a bee. Gaz's, uh, Gaz's wife and uh, and her sister had, Pammy, yeah. thankfully, had, had, had agreed to meet us there. And they met us with a plate of cheese and local delicacies and beer. Uh, and they handed us all the beer and they happened to have on the rock they had a bottle of champagne which which Mark thought must have been to celebrate the occasion <laughs> and dutifully picked it up shook it popped the cork sprayed champagne everywhere and then realized that that was actually for Pammy and her sister to drink <laughs> well it made a good photo it did make a good photo it did so so that that is uh, you know that ain't the end of your paneling story mate and that's what we're here to talk about I suppose but but um, when when I thought about what you've done with your kayaking and and also your involvement with it, with organising paddling, it's a bit of a convoluted trail, isn't it? To arrive there, that's where you want them to get to when yep. you decided you were going to start doing it. Yep. But to arrive there right then, then look back at where where you've been in the meantime. It's all paddling, right? It's all paddling, but but that was a that was a particularly surreal moment Uh, as you say it's something that I set out to to do um, 13 14 years beforehand Um, at the time that I that I started I had it as a real ambition and then it it just sort of sat in the background and amazing how the opportunity just presented and uh, same for me then we did it Mm. and uh and we did it, we, but we did it as a group. We did it as as a bunch of mates. Um, and I, you know, I remember Mercer's briefing before we left. Yeah, um, was probably you know the thing that sticks in my mind the most about it. And that was, you know, that we had to only three things that we had to we had to stay safe, that we had to get there, and that we had to stay mates. Better mates when we land than when we left. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah. And if I, you know, I really, I've thought about it. People have said to me, would you do it again? Um, I probably would do it again, but it would never, ever be the same. It was... Uh, well, for I, starters, you wouldn't go out with half a chance of there being a gale on a crossing. I think, I don't, I don't think I've laughed as much as I did in those... Fourteen days, yeah, fourteen days, you know, eight paddle days and six rest days, and I th- and I th- can't remember a moment where I wasn't laughing. You know, uh, maybe maybe the Hogan Crossing, I stopped laughing for a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was such good fun, yeah, such good fun, and and with a great group of blokes, you know, just sensational fun. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree. So. Someone looking out there at the moment who wants to get into their paddling and might think Bass Strait was their goal. Typically nowadays, we see people wanting to get into skis. Whereas back in the day when you started, sea kayaking was something to had a bit of adventure to it. Ski paddling doesn't really have any element of adventure. Um, if you want to go and do Molokai or one of these big overseas races or whatever, that's not really an adventure. That's just something you pay a lot of money for and have a lot of safety stuff in place for. Um, but the type of paddling we do seems to appeal to to athletic paddlers, men and women. What would you What would you say to them? 
sitting out thinking, oh, should I get into sea kayaking or? Look, I, I love my I love my ski paddling. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm not so fussed now on marathon paddling. Flat water, um, the monotony um, doesn't do it for me. Uh, the challenge the challenge of being able to paddle a long distance is still there. Uh, and I'd still do a Hawkesbury and I'd still do a Murray because they're, they're such great events. Um, and, they're, and they're events. They're, they're, they're just such good fun. Participate, I, yeah, be part of a community. Be part of a club, <clears throat> part of the community. It's, it's all good fun. Um, the ski paddling, particularly downwinders, one-wires, the capes runs that we do, the, the one-wires on Botany Bay, um, they're, you know, they're, all, they're all good fun. But they have a start point and they have an end point. Um, and they're all over and done with reasonably quickly. The, the sea kayaking thing, the the sense of adventure, the expedition, the preparation, Well, you've subsequently planning. done a Nagy trip, a oh, trip with Gazza up in the north. The, the, north. Yeah, I've done a, 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 a Keppel's trip with uh, with Gazza and a circumnavigation of the Keppel's, and uh, and I'd love to go back and do that again this year. That, the the uh, Nagy Wilderness trip that I did with Gazza and, and Rob, uh, in 2018, just you know, magic, magic trip. Um, but it's <clears throat> it's the unknown. There's a sense of unknown. Uh, you you can plan and plan and prepare, but it's mother nature, and you you can't really predict it. As as good as what the bureau might be, they're not good enough. You know, it it just and and it's good that they're not good enough because it just that's what adds that sense of adventure to it. And you've got to rely on skill then, don't you? Yeah. I, I, I think now that we've got kayaks that behave like faster boats that the competitive paddlers are comfortable with. Yeah. Um, expedition paddling in that style, the style we do when we cross Bass Strait, for example, that's everything. It's got yeah. form, athleticism, fitness, planning, Expedition now is how to pack your gear, how to pack your boat for a particular day, whether it's a headwind or a tailwind, interpreting the weather, um, navigation, which I took piss out of, but was very important on a trip like Bass Strait. Every single element of paddling is involved in an expedition, a committing expedition like that. Yep. Um, ski paddling is purely athletic, very skillful. Um, ski paddling made me a better sea kayaker. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Without doubt, I feel I feel far more comfortable downwind in my sea kayak. Yeah. As a result of learning how to paddle a sea a surf ski. Yeah. Um, but you know you can't pack your tent or your cooking gear into your surf ski, and you generally you don't worry about navigation with a surf ski. Um, it's you know it's a point to point event normally. Um, I think the you touched on it. Um, just packing. Yeah. Packing. Well, <laughs> I thought, how, and I'm, I'm a reasonably good packer, but, you know, packing my sea kayak for an expedition. You can do what I do, just don't yeah. take any food. Well, <laughs> yeah, I've thought about that. Uh, but it's amazing, amazing how changing where you put stuff changes the trim of the boat, which changes your enjoyment or or not of your paddle that day it's a long day if you've got your trim wrong yeah 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 and when and when Gazza tells you that you know Mercer really designed the Audax for him 
<laughs> and it's not really designed for 110 kilo blokes like me that uh, you've got to pack more weight in the front. Yeah. It's, uh, but you learn that on the first day and you don't make that mistake the second yeah, day. That's right. Yeah, that's right. The third thing you don't do is believe Gaza. <laughs> well, mate, what a, what a, an hour and a half. It was only meant to go for an hour. We, uh, we've, we've got through our... Our little selection of beers there. Yeah, thank God for that. Yeah, I, I can't pick a winner. I've, we've got a six-pack of uh, Wild Yak in there, which I reckon has got all these four covered. These are pretty shit, really. Yeah, yeah. the pink beer was the best beer. The pink beer was the best beer? I don't yeah. even know if that was a beer. Uh, I'm not sure that it was, but Good. the Laphroaig is definitely a single malt. Well, now that we've arrived at the Laphroaig, if you're listening in Scotland, you know, we have arrived in your homeland here, and this is something we do, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly having a better time now. What? I can't actually remember a paddle with you Sunday without a Lafroix. <laughs> no, no, it's a bit of a bit of a kayaking, smoky smell, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Um, thanks, Bob. Bloody hell, been wanting to do this uh, podcast for quite a while. You have a bit of a tale to tell, I've got to say. That's been good. Been really good. Good to get it out, actually. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll do our best during these uh, these these weird ass days to get you another couple out there. Uh, if anyone's got any suggestions what they'd like to have podcast a trick we've done or something that we we talk about all the time but you, you, you'd, you'd like to hear us go into it in, in a bit more detail you know our, our boat review podcast for example um, is a really popular one and we get a lot of people asking us questions about that too don't be afraid to pipe up and 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 say so uh, and thank you thank you for listening thanks to the dawn thank you